0: bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please. My ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad
1: man. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. <laughs> if I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a
2: black man in a white world. I'm a black man in white a man in white world. Hello. And welcome to the latest episode of the J.B.'s Low Tech Podcast. With all the talk about pan-college athletes and high school athletes, I start to wonder, what do the youth athlete think about what's going on in sports and how, how they're being affected? And we'll talk about that here next, here on the J.B.'s Low Tech Podcast.
0: Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. 1. Remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. 2. Always stay hydrated in hot weather. 3. Avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. 4. Stay in air conditioning as much as possible. 5. When traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast, prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you talk to us.
1: Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com.
0: Bradshaw and Bryant.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated earlier before the commercial break, uh, with all the stuff that had gone on, especially with college and high school sports, uh, I was wondering, and I even got a couple of emails from or text messages from people asking me, what is the effect of youth seeing all this youth in sports? seeing all this money and all these other perks flying around. So I reached out to someone who's worked in the, in the sport broadcasting business to get her opinion. And she's a sportcaster. She's a writer. She's a sports official, which is interesting. Uh, she was the host of the Phoenix Suns in-studio uh, in Broadcast. She is a foster parent, and I'd like to welcome today's guest, Ann Montgomery. How are things going, Ann?
1: Great, John. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Not a problem.
2: So, with all the craziness as we see, especially in college sports, and in some sports, like I live in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the Minnesota High School League has made it legal for high school players to get in in NIL deals. I'm just wondering uh, what effect you think this is all ha- happening at the very ground level, youth uh, level. And maybe even why is even sports vital for kids, period?
1: Well, two big important questions. Um, the first one bothers me a great deal. I am not against college athletes getting paid for their name, image, and likeness at all. Um, Quite honestly, I think college players have been uh, cheated for a very long time by the NCAA and by the universities who make so much money off of their backs. But I do not think this is appropriate for high school. Um, I know there are kids that are getting offered money at that age, but there is so much involved in expectation of these kids. And let's face it, most of them are never going to be pro athletes. Most of them are never going to be college athletes. Correct. That's why I was a teacher for 20 years, um, and it so frustrated me that every time I sat down with a student, a male student generally, mm-hmm. they all told me they were going to be quarterbacks of the NFL or centers of <laughs> the NBA. And I'm like, well, I'm the last person in the world that wants to say you can't. Right. But I always said, let's have another option because the chances are minuscule. And it's so frustrating when you see parents of a kid who plays Pop Warner, or let's say baseball with all the travel leagues, Mm -hmm. um, and some 12-year-old is being told he's going to be a big leaguer. And and I think, first of all, I think it's too much, um, especially when kids are playing all year round. It it limits their other options. So you spend however many years believing you're going to be a pro athlete, and you shut out all the other options in life, like music and theater and and uh, academic decathlon and all these other things in high school that you should be participating in, everything's shunted aside because you think you're going to be a pro athlete, and you're probably not. And so I think putting, giving kids money at that age is, is just ridiculous, and I don't think it should be allowed. But here in Arizona, uh, I worked for the Arizona Interscholastic Association um, for almost 30 years as an official, and they, they really don't have a choice. I mean, let's face it, if you had a 15-year-old who could skate in the ice skates, mm-hmm. would anybody stop them from doing it, from making money? They would not. No. They can't. So how can we tell some kid that they can't, you know, sign an agreement with a college or, or you know, some pro team as, as a kid? And I, I struggle with that a great deal. I don't know how you feel about it, but I, it, it's concerning to me. It's too much pressure at too young an age. Yeah,
2: I, I agree. <clears throat> Well, I add more pressure to a level where um, it's supposed to be about uh, growth and fun.
1: Yes, and now, exactly. And
2: now, in some cases, they're becoming the breadwinner of the family. That's
1: asinine for somebody. It, it is, and it's child abuse to me. I, I grew up as an ice skater. Now, I, my parents wouldn't allow me to be the everyday, you know, put tons of money in it. I wasn't that good, quite honestly, but I was around kids who competed at the national level. Those kids were slaves. They had no lives. They never went to football games. They never went to parties. They never got to hang out with the regular kids because they were having to have tutors and, and, and ballet lessons and dealing with music and costume fittings and time on the ice. They had no lives. And for the very few that end up with Olympic medals, Um, there are thousands who never went anywhere. And again, this disturbs me because, let's face it, what's high school about? It's about learning what you're good at, Mm -hmm. learning what you like to do, learning what someone might pay you to do. And they're cut off from all those opportunities other kids have because they're shoehorned into a sport. Um, Yeah, I struggle with that. And, and, you know, look, as an official, when I call a ball game, you know, a a JV game or a Pop Warner game or whatever – that the parents screaming and yelling like i'm going to destroy their kids pro career and i've had people like that you know i had a woman walk up to me once and go, my child was never on a losing team until today i'm like well that's unfortunate because that's what sports are about right they're about learning learning to win and lose gracefully that's what it's about not about your kid getting signed by a major league team so i'm very frustrated by sports today in fact Um, I retired from football in 2019 I stopped doing baseball about oh I don't know 10 years ago so I don't see it so much anymore I do miss officiating but that part of it has got so out of hand I I don't know what to do with it
2: (laughs) yeah I I was a college athletic equipment manager for uh, in some shape or form for 40 years and um, I would have Sometimes coaches, but mostly athletes, told me that I was that I had an effect on somebody's future pro career, and I'm <laughs> looking at them like all I do is hand out equipment. Right. <laughs> you know, them not having an extra pair of batting gloves isn't gonna <laughs> isn't gonna keep them from doing anything.
1: But you know where they got that from? They got that from listening to their parents, berate coaches and officials. And school administrators, because their kid wasn't starting. And you know, I, I'm 67 years old, so I remember when parents didn't butt in and take your part. Parents said, "You go work that out yourself." Right. And and if if you know, I didn't pass the skating test, that was on me. <laughs> it wasn't right. on the judges. And my dad would. My dad was great about it. He'd, give, he'd He'd send me across the street to get a hot fudge brownie delight at, at uh, the ice cream store. And he never was bad about it. But I saw the way other kids were treated, and, and the parents would scream at the judges. And I'm like, this is absurd. Aren't we supposed to take responsibility for our own actions? If I fail at something or I make a bad call, that's on me. I'm not looking for someone to defend me. But I think too many, you know, this is the world of everybody, everybody gets a trophy. Right. Everybody, everybody shouldn't get a soccer trophy. If you didn't win the championship, no trophy.
2: That's It's true. I um, I have connection with um, uh, youth travel softball. I'm not a coach. Uh, I'm not an administrator. I work with the people who run it in the sense of I'll uh, repair things for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one of the one young lady is a friend of is the daughter of a friend of mine, and um, I. Saw them at a weekend tournament that I worked at and I said, Hey, what is Zoe doing outside of softball? And they said nothing. And I started to <laughs> started to berate her parents. They were like, J B, calm down. I was like, What? We want her to do other things. We can't get her <laughs> to do anything else. I was like I said, Let me talk to her. So they arranged somehow for her to to wind up talking to me and I just said, hey, you know, you realize that you're stunting your own emotional and social growth by just playing softball. And I said, your, your physical growth too. I said, go play volleyball, go, go do something in the fall, run cross country, something, just to use a different muscle group so you don't get burnt out mentally and physically and, and whatnot, so. I don't know if she took heave of it, but in some cases, we always want to blame the parents, but in some cases, it's also the kid wants to pigeonhole themselves too, which is kind of sad.
1: Yes, but it's the parents that allow them to do that. And, you know, I'm with you. What happened to the three sport kids? Right. Nobody does it because the coaches don't want it anymore. They don't want a football player uh, to be on the track team, but I don't get that. I'm with you. It's cross-training. And it's a new group of kids, and it's a new coach, and, and a, a new team to work for. And I, it frustrates the hell out of me, because I grew up in a time when most kids, or most guys at least, played three sports. And and we are just making kids' lives so narrow. Um, and I, I applaud you for, for stepping up to that young lady and saying, look, there's more to life than this. Right. And especially for women, because let's face it, there's no other than the WNBA, which is only being propped up by the NBA, and if it wasn't, it would have disappeared a long time ago. Um, There aren't a lot of opportunities for women in sports out there, you know, athletes. And and girls tend to know this. Mm -hmm. And that's why very often uh, college girls, uh, college athletes that are female, do fabulously well in the classroom, which is the only reason why the numbers look so good for all student athletes, because the women are pulling up the guys as far as... uh, academic progress so the girls know that they're probably not going to be pro athletes with a with a few you know other than golf and tennis maybe but but they know that they need to get an education and they need to they need to find something to do for a living whereas all these guys think even guys in d3 think they're going to be pro athletes i'm like you wouldn't be in d3 probably if you had those skills so yeah i i agree with you we 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 are making it love sports though i do i think i think kids need to branch out well,
2: we have totally uh, stopped teaching the, tri- the triangle of sports in, this, in, in the sense of, you know, or the pyramid of sports. You know, to get people to understand that at the very tip is so narrow, it's only 1% or 2% of everybody who plays a sport that will play at the high, you know, NFL, MLB level or whatnot. So, um, but they're, you know, they're all being convinced or convincing themselves that they're, that's, that's what's going to happen. Uh, the other question I had to start us off with is why, why are sports vital for uh, young kids?
1: Um, and it has nothing to do with being an athlete. It really doesn't. Um, it's because playing on a team teaches you really important skills that, Business owners, are they want you desperately if you played a sport. I tell my kids my, when I was teaching, I said, put down that you were on the JV football team. It shows that you know how to be on a team. And what do you learn? How to follow rules, how to, how to be part of a team, how to be a leader, how to be a follower, how to be punctual. You know, if I'm the coach on my team, you're late. I don't care if you're my starter, you're not playing. It's real easy. So athletes learn these very basic rules that you need in life to succeed, and, and that's the important part, and people seem to miss that. I, I, there's a wonderful statistic I saw. I think 90% of the women in C-suite positions you know, who are leading major companies were all athletes. What does that tell you? You know, they, they learned all these wonderful life skills while playing sports. Now, don't get me wrong. You can learn these same skills by being part of the marching band or being in a chorus or being in theater. Um, so my thing is, maybe kid is, doesn't want to be an athlete. Well, try out for something else then. Get involved. And these are the skills you need in the business world to be successful. Also, as I mentioned before, learning to lose and fail are wonderful skills. You know, you see an athlete, when I was officiating, I would see kids, you know, go out, miss an easy pass. Receiver just dropped it. And they're on the ground and they get back up and they line up and they try it again. Well, I'm afraid a lot of kids that don't have those opportunities to fail publicly are afraid to to do it. They're so afraid to go out there and put themselves in front of people because they're afraid they'll make an error. Athletes make mistakes all the time and have to get back up and try again. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, I mean, see, uh,
2: learning how to rebound, get back, you know, yes. get back on your feet, and and try again, or try something a different way, or or just coping. Period. So when you're well, I mean, when you sorry when you get older, and something doesn't go the way you want it to or plan, you don't just crumble and all off in the corner
1: somewhere. That's right, and here's the thing I've learned over the years. Being successful teaches you nothing. Failure teaches you a great deal. I could run down a list of some of the worst calls I ever made in 40 years of officiating because I never want to make those same mistakes again. And if I hadn't made those mistakes, I wouldn't have become a better official. So that is how we learn. We we try, we fail, we readjust, and we get better. And, and so many children today, because quite honestly, most kids don't play sports anymore. They're, they're missing out on that opportunity to, to fail in situations where no one's life is at risk, you know. I, I, I think I'd like to have a brain surgeon who failed a few times before he got to me, you know.
2: Right. But uh, so not to just stay on, um, on the negative, what, um, what are the positives of success? for a young person.
1: You mean as far as sports are concerned?
2: Sports, life, there, Well,
1: they're, it, it, you know, ch- kids need, I mean, sports are kind of their approach to, not real life, actually. We know sports are not real life. Mm-hmm. But they, they teach such positive things. That's why I get so frustrated when people say they don't want their kids to play sports. I said, you are so cutting them off from fabulous learning possibilities. Because you know, when you're young, you don't know what you're good at. And, and most kids are awkward and uncomfortable with who they are in those, you know, 13, 14, who'd ever want to do those years again. Um, and, I, and I think sports give you an opportunity to express yourself and to, to grow as a person. And, and I'm all for it. I, I kind of wish we could make people play sports. I mean, look, they don't even teach physical education anymore. I know. You know, it, you take it if you want to, and you know who takes it? The kids who are already athletes. Yep. And we have so many people, uh, so many young people, who are not getting up off their butts, off the, you know, from looking at their video games, and, and it would be so good for them to get out and move around. And and that's really the whole point of sports. Get up and go move around and meet some people. Now, and I, I, yeah.
2: No, I was just going to say, you know, uh, in just the general overall... Health benefits for for the individual, it's, you know, they learn how to uh, move around, play a sport, or play a lifetime sport that will keep them active when they get in their fifties and sixties and seventies, and be and be healthier. Uh, you know, the hospitals are are you know filled with people who are just you know couch sitters and non-active people.
1: And it's so hard on your body. We weren't, you know, we're we're not meant to sit down all the time. And I I will say, I feel fortunate. Um, I I was, I've been an athlete most of my life. I started skating when I was five. And I was a lap swimmer until before the pandemic hit. Um, The problem with being 35 years of lap swimming is your shoulders go (laughs) eventually. You know how they say sports are good for you? Well, Maybe not so much when you get older, because <laughs> every injury I ever had has come back to haunt me. But I would still do it all again. Uh, it's, it's much better, I think, to be dealing with that than all the other problems people deal with when they have never been active.
2: You probably have a healthier life uh, for it, though.
1: I do, but it's kind of interesting. I've thought about it a few times. If I was ever abducted and dismembered. They could identify me from any piece they found because they've all been x-rayed or MRI'd. (laughs) So, but that's okay, you know, my physical therapist said, would you do it all again? I said, yes, I would. Um, So yeah, I've had rotator cuff surgery twice. I broke my back, I broke my leg twice, broke my arm twice, broke my elbow. I mean, it's endless, (laughs) But, but I would still do the things. I would still do sports. Um, and I'm not sure people pre- appreciate how how many officials get injured every year because um, we're really just wallpaper most of the yeah. time but yeah there's a lot you know I, I got hit by three players in a football game and broke my back oh yeah so I you know it's just part of the deal and, and if you're you're afraid of that then I guess don't do it but but it, it toughens you up
2: well I would guess so Um. Here's a, a, a different twist on effects on youth. With all the coverage you see in uh, pro and college, and even in high school sports, uh, how does the way the media, sports media, the way they handle things affect young people?
1: Um, I, I'm, I know some of the local reporters here. High school sports are huge here in Arizona. Um, I think they handle it very well. Um, I think they understand the difference between dealing with high school and college kids, and college and pros. They're different. It's a different type of writing. Um, I, I was teaching uh, sports reporting at ASU last semester, and I brought in a high the guy has been covering high school sports here for 35 years. And he talked about that, how, how when you're covering high school sports, um, you try to be a little less cruel. You know, whereas if, if you're a pro athlete, you know, you put yourself out there. So if we don't like the way you played, we're going to say so. But, but high school is different. You look for the positive if you can. And, and that way, I think the kids are very excited that they get coverage. Um, and it's not, there's no cruelty involved. But if a kid gets upset because, you know, they threw four interceptions and, and their team lost and they don't want that in the paper, then don't go out and play. That's part of the deal. You go out there, you're in the public eye, and you know, as long as, as the uh, media, they're, they're being respectful, that's fine. The problem comes when you have uh, bloggers and people on Facebook who think it's okay to write something crappy about a kid. And you know that, that's the same problem that's happening now with officials, is that um, you know, people, it used to be in the old days, I know I'm off track a little here, used to be that uh, if an official made a bad call, everybody yelled and screamed, maybe they spit on you, maybe you need a police escort to your car, but then it's over. Now it's all over the Internet. Yeah. And I think that's that's very difficult, and that's one of the reasons we don't have enough officials. Um, so, But I think that, that you have to be mindful when you're covering young people, um, but the higher up the ladder they go, you don't have to – you can take the kid gloves off, as it were.
2: Well, I've seen instances where – And this has happened nationally. Ref blows a call or makes a call that's controversial. Controversial, and it's gone as far as publishing that uh, official's address or phone. Yes, you know phone number.
1: It's awful. Right. And it's so frustrating to me because you know I've had people threaten me. I've had all that stuff happen. But until recently, I could go home, and they didn't know where I lived. And I'm going to tell you, of course, we make mistakes. You know, officials blink. Sometimes we're tired. Here in Arizona, it's 115 degrees, and I'm wearing all the baseball gear. You know, it's. I'm not going to tell you I haven't made bad calls. I have. And I'll own that. But that people think that I care who wins, you know, a, a JV high school football game. Why would I care? I don't have any money on it. You know, I don't care who wins. I care that everybody goes home safely. I care that I did the best possible job I could. And let's face it, sometimes a pitcher throws a ball in the dirt and it gets away. Sometimes a coach puts a bad play in. You know, sometimes a receiver drops a pass. Nobody hates them the whole time. But if I make one bad call or someone on my crew makes a bad call, I'm a jerk. Or I wanted their team to lose. It's so frustrating. And when coaches do it and parents do it, you know who does it next? It's the kids. Right. And kids should know that they have to be respectful to an official, even if we make an error. And sometimes we do make errors. And so, you know what I learned? When a coach would scream at me um, and I knew that maybe I missed something, I would simply tell them that, um, you know, I made a mistake and i'll try to do better next time and that kind of shut them up they're like they expected me to yell or something like no maybe we missed that coach i th- you know we'll try to do better uh, but you know fans are crazy and so this trickles down to the kids to where we have kids screaming at us and um yeah it's it's going to get worse and at some point i think relatively soon you're going to see there are not a lot of games being played here in arizona We now have to have Thursday night varsity football because there aren't enough crews Friday night to cover the games because we don't have enough officials.
2: Yeah, the same thing is happening in Minnesota. Um, But to get even further kind of into this, when young people watch, you know, they may watch a game or they may watch a sports report or, or, uh, you know... uh, in-depth documentary about an athlete or a game or something is that uh, is uh things being glorified too much where that's all they see is the is the, is the stardom or uh, that's that's my only way of making it
1: um that's kind of two questions i think that the the idea that they want to be stars, yes, they see all of that stuff and they go, that's what I want. I want to be that thing. I want to be that famous person with the nice car, with the pretty women, with the, you know, with all the money. That's what I want. But they don't see the other side of it, all the work it took to get there. You know, and, and I think it's important if you're doing videos about this kind of thing, is that you show that that's your entire life. There's a quote, and it's funny, it's not about sports, but... A woman went up to a concert pianist and she said, I would give my life to play piano like you do. And he said, well, I already have, you know, obviously there was nothing else in his life. You don't have options. If you want to be that guy that that gets to the top, then that's all you can do. And I don't think kids understand. I sat down with kids in school, said, so where do you see yourself in 10 years? I'm going to be a quarterback in the NFL. Oh, great. Do you play for our team? No, you don't play for your high school team. How are you going to be a quarterback in the NFL? I can be whatever I want. I said, that's the biggest lie teachers have ever told you. You can't be anything. Right. And you certainly can't be anything without work. You know, I, I point out, you, you know, Shaquille O'Neal is never going to be a thoroughbred racehorse judge. He's not. He'd kill the horse. Right. That's not <laughs> possible. Right now, if you're blind, you're probably not going to be a fighter pilot. So that's a lie. You can't be anything, but you can be lots of things but only if you work really hard. So I'm afraid so many kids think that they don't have to work hard to get these things. Um, And then the other other problem is I want to be a quarterback in the NFL. Okay, what are you going to do after that? What do you mean? Well, what's the average NFL career, like 3.6 years now? Yes. So now you're 25 and your career's over. What are you going to do now? And nobody ever thinks that far. I'm like, you have to have something to do. That's why we have so many athletes who end up alcoholics and drug addicts because they don't know what to do now. They got what they wanted. Money isn't enough. What do you do? And my kids are totally baffled. They, they don't even know how to answer the question. I said, let's make another plan. So after you're out of the NFL, you'll have more goals.
2: Yeah, because not, not, not only that, but not all of them can go into broadcasting after their, <laughs> after their career is over with be it long or short.
1: No, but there's so many options in the sports world um, where there are jobs. I mentioned earlier, you know, maybe you want to be in broadcasting. Maybe you want to be a reporter. Maybe you want to be uh, an agent. Maybe you want to be a sports attorney. Maybe you want to go into sports marketing. There's all kinds of other sports jobs. But, you know, they're also fixated on being the star hoisting the, the Super Bowl trophy that they can't see beyond that. And, and so I I tried for 20 years, I tried, but it's funny every year, the same bunch of kids came in telling me they were going to be pro athletes. They'd laugh. Like I didn't know what I was talking about. Like, okay.
2: (laughs) No, I, and I understand it's hard to be a a pro quarterback when you're not even in the track to (laughs) to get there. He
1: says I play in the, I I don't play on our team. I play, I play in the street in my neighborhood. I said, that's not going to cut it. (laughs) I said you need to come here. and said, but our team isn't very good. I said that doesn't matter whether they're good or not. Right. You need to be on the team. It's like telling me you want to be in, you want to be a movie star, but you're not in theater. Go be on the stage. You know, try out for the play. Well, I don't need to do that. Yeah, you do. You need some experience. Get it while you're in high school where it's free.
2: <laughs> you know? Right. Well, I heard a um, conversation with Dave Chappelle, and, and you know he's a famous comedian.
1: Oh, I know who but, he is. I like but him. But he
2: took acting classes in high school.
1: Well, of course, <laughs> because that's what they are. They're actors. Right. And and if you don't if you don't develop that on stage present, and what, that stage could be a football field or, you know, in the auditorium, you need to develop those kinds of skills. So that's what kills me about high school here. We have all of these opportunities that kids have. I taught in a Title I school, inner city, and – Yet we had some of the most fantastic programs. We had a law program where we had a courtroom, just like downtown. The kids were in juries and they were judges and, and attorneys. Uh, we have an aerospace program where kids learn to get their pilot's licenses. I taught in the communications magnet. We had a TV station, a radio station, and a newspaper. We had fine arts, we had performing arts. They had all of these opportunities. And most of the kids didn't participate in any of them. It was very frustrating, just like sports. I think the same hundred kids we're on all the teams.
2: Well, that, that is sad that they're not investing in them. When it comes down to it, they're not investing in themselves.
1: Yeah, and I, I blame that on, on video games and living on a screen.
2: Right. I, I really do. F- for uh, several years, I had a connection with uh, a person who, um, who taught martial arts in inner city schools but he wanted to use it to be a a bigger thing and so he asked me if he brought a group of kids that i would take them around and show them the different things beyond being an athlete that it took to um to be in athletics and i would you know they, I would look at him and say, yeah, you know about athletes and what they do and whatnot. And they said, you, you somewhat know about coaches. But I said, today we're going to walk this building. And it was the athletic department at the University of Minnesota. And you're going and I'm going to uh, have you meet somebody in every different area. And there was administration, and there was compliance, and there was athletic medicine, and there was athletic equipment, and... You know, there was uh, athletic, you know, the academics area and on and on and on to the point that we were just trying to get them to understand, like you had stated earlier, there is so many other opportunities, you know, sports psychology, psychiatry and, and all these, you know, even down to if you're into computers, we have an IT department or we have a graphics department or, you know, we have a social media department. Uh, Group, you know, we have a communication. There are just many different ways you can apply yourself. If you love sports, but you know you're not going to be a big time athlete, but you would like to stay in it, and I think you know maybe one or two got the message, and the rest it was like, like you were saying, I'm going to be the you know starting quarterback at, at. Of course, right. Um, so. Kind of keeping this on youth for now, do you think, because I, in every summer, I, I, I really struggle with the, I feel the overexposure of this, and it's now happening with young ladies too, the uh, Little League World Series, and the, word, the, the way they're covered like pro sports. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I am so glad you asked. I am so against the Little League World Series. Um, I think it's wrong. These kids are 12 years old. If some kid blows a play, this team loses, the rest of his life, it will be a horror. They are too young for that. I don't think it should be allowed. Or if it is, there shouldn't be any TV coverage. There shouldn't. It's too much pressure. And these are 12-year-olds. Right. Aren't they 12 or 12, 13? Yeah, They're yeah. 12. I, I mean, I, if you know... I, look at children of that age who would do that to a child it's to me it's abuse if they want to play and go in and not put it on television i would be okay with that but it's gotten absurd and and a 12 year old who is on a winning team now now truly believes they're going to be pro baseball players and they're not they're not so yeah i have a big problem with that i really do
2: they um they miss especially their parents miss the message of when they flash back to different teams you know histories and maybe one guy got a tryout
1: yeah but that almost never and they almost never will play well of course baseball's different they have minor leagues so the right. kids don't always go to college but most of them will never play in college i mean we have so blown this up to make To make every kid think that they can do this i'm not and i don't it's it's a difficult line you walk as a parent i think to say well that's really nice you're playing that's great um but we need to expose you to other things as we've mentioned before i saw a picture on facebook uh the other day and it was a woman standing behind her little boy who was maybe eight or nine And he's on the bench. They were playing baseball, and apparently he pitched the game, and his team lost, and he was crying. And she put this on Facebook. I don't know why. But the bottom line is this kid was unconsolable because he pitched and his team lost, so he's weeping on the bench. Like, and you put this on the Internet? I'm like, I don't know. I struggle. I think you just pat him on the back and say, you'll get him next time, let's go have ice cream. You know?
2: I mean, for, for decades, they played the Little League World Series, and it was covered in the newspaper, and, you know, that was it. Or the championship game was shown on wild, uh, Wide World of Sports. But now they, they, uh, ESPN literally spends two weeks almost covering hey. every game like, it's the seventh game of the World Series, and these are great heroes, and this, that, and the other. I know.
1: It's <laughs> a, it's ridiculous. And, you know, you take a 12-year-old who dropped that fly ball but let the scoring run go in, and that will be on the Internet and on TV. Te- they'll play it over and over and over again. I worry about a 12-year-old with that pressure. So, yeah, I'm with you. I don't mind a, a newspaper article, maybe, um, or something like that, but, but not... Not video, please. And don't let people come in with phones. Let's just let the kids play. You know, that that's what I kind of miss. I I miss I remember when I was a kid, sometimes kids would walk around the neighborhood holding a baseball glove. You don't see that anymore. No. But the kids would go out and play something. We'd maybe kickball or whatever, but there weren't any parents telling us what to do. There weren't any officials standing there. There weren't people keeping our stats. You know, that a 12-year-old has a stat line makes me sad. So yeah, that's um, true. I don't I don't need to be so negative. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm being negative today. But I, I worry about the kids, and I worry about the future of sports. I really do. I'm not sure where we're going and if it's going to get better or worse. Yeah,
2: I keep asking myself that, too, because, you know... With all the changes in, in college at the college level, which has a direct effect on what's going on in pro—I mean, not the pro level—at the high school level, I just don't know how things, and they're starting to spiral out of control right now. How do they, how do they get things back in line? Whereas the you know the NC two A just threw their hands up and walked away and just said, "We're just." Here to collect money, and you guys do whatever you're gonna do, and I, it just it just feels like lawlessness.
1: It it does it does. The NCAA should have made some kind of ruling. They shouldn't have thrown it out to all the conferences. Say you do what you want. That's ridiculous. But um, you're right. Everything trickles down, and that's that's the problem. But let's face it. It's about lawyers. legally can you prevent a kid from earning money for skill a skill they have the kid's a painter and people want to pay a hundred thousand dollars for their paintings we can't stop that why can we stop sports i think it's all a legal question and the lawyers have jumped in and said you can't stop us and they're right we can't so what does that do to sports i don't know i don't know if it'll shake out i i do think that we need you know maybe there should be a test before you become a parent maybe you should have to learn that that no, you should not live off your child's income, and that you sh- you, you sh- need to make your kid as, as uh, well-rounded and happy as possible, and not put so many so much pressure on them when they're little. This is just silly. Well, you would
2: you would think people would learn from uh, child actors and child actresses who right who lives have been ruined. And their parents have bled them, you know, bled them uh, dry. And in some form, it's, you know, you would call it abuse. But, you know, in some forms, it's prostitution, the way child actors have been and actresses have been treated in the past.
1: Yeah, and I I think very often, especially in regard to athletes, well, maybe with actors too, it's parents who wanted these things for themselves. Mm -hmm. And maybe the dad got cut from the varsity baseball team in high school, so he's damn sure he's going to make his kid a pro. Um, Or the mom wanted to be a ballet dancer, which is another form of gruesome abuse to kids. Um, That they push these kids. And, and, you know, so many, you don't hear about the thousands... hundreds of thousands who burn out every year. So I, I wish we had a little more even keel look at what we're doing to kids. And and I want sports to survive. I do. I love sports. But but we need to be a little more even-handed about it, a little more, I don't know, nicer. You know, every once in a while you see those wonderful things that happen on the field. Uh, this one's a while back where, where the girl in the softball game broke her leg. Mm-hmm. And and she could she hit a home run and she couldn't round the bases. Do you remember that?
2: Yes. She,
1: and they and the other team carried her around the right. bases so that and then their team lost. I thought that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, we had and a,
1: that's what's that's what sports should be. Not oh, if we carry her around and she scores, then we're going to lose. They didn't do that.
2: Yeah, we so had. A, I, we had a moment like something like that this year, where a pitcher hit a and a hit and the Yes. the kid was all right he got up went to first and the kid was uncontrollable on the mound and the kid he hit came over and hugged him and said i know you i didn't, know. No, i know I, you didn't mean to hit me you'll be and okay. I'm okay
1: <laughs> yeah that that makes me cry i mean that's what sports should be right that you know and and it is sometimes but not always And And we we, we drill into them that winning is the only thing, and I so object to that.
2: Right. I really do. I don't know if this bothers you as much as it bothers me. When watching, and I've cut way back of how much Little League uh, baseball and softball I watch, and the reason for it is play happens, and then they turn the camera to the stands, to the parents. And that, to me, that just feeds the behavior of all parents, sports parents. That um, you know, this is how I'm going to get my child to such and such level, so then they can put the camera on me. And yeah, talk about me.
1: And it's like, well, I I think that's part of it. Look what I produced. I produced a major league baseball player. Well, that doesn't say anything. Sorry, you know, it it's. Could just be the luck of the draw there. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I struggle with all that. I Honestly, I'm at a point where I wish they would just not let parents even into the games. Um, it's a distraction. And there's nothing worse than working a, calling a ball, a baseball game, where they're right behind you, and some parent is berating their own child the whole time. Right. How could you swing at that high pitch? How could, oh, why'd you drop the ball? You want to go, get the hell out of here, buddy. You're killing your kid. You know, you don't say that. You say you'll get it, you'll you'll ca- catch it next time. Right. We'll work on that at home. Don't scream at your kid in front of everybody else. So I, I don't know, and 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 I think it's getting worse. I know it's getting worse. I and I know this from the officiating circles because we know that most new officials quit after two years, um, and that's why there aren't any. That's why we don't have enough. Because they listen to this crap and they go, "I'm not going to do this." Why would I let, listen to these idiots screaming, not just at me but at their own kids? And people walk away from the avocation because, you know, it's it's not fun. And well, it's not a learning experience anymore. It's just cool.
2: Well, that's another effect of of this whole thing spiraling out is, and we've talked about it is the lack of officials in. People have to understand, at some point, we don't have any officials. We don't have games.
1: Nope. Without the ref, it's only recess.
2: Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, coaches can put you out there, and, but then it's just a scrimmage. You
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they don't. the only time they care about us is if we don't show up. Right. That's the only time. Other than that, and, and I'll give you an example. I was working a game with my crew my last year. And uh, it was 112, I think, varsity football Friday night. And there are five of us on the crew. I'm the crew chief. And two of my guys went down in the heat. Um, Not surprising. I'd never, I mean, two of them went down. And I was sick from the heat myself. But we only have three people left. And I I called the coaches together. I said, look, if we're going to finish this game, we need, after halftime, to go running time. I said, people are not looking good out here. Even the kids didn't look great um i need i need i think we need to have a rolling clock so we can all get out of here because if one more official goes down we're not going to have a game and they agreed and damn if the next day we got the game in my guys were okay i was pretty sick i've had heat sickness a few times it's pretty awful and um i got called the next day and screamed at by my boss because both of the coaches complained i said they agreed i stood on the field I told them the situation. If they wanted to continue the game that night, we needed to have a, a rolling clock, which is fair to everybody. You know, you, 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 it's just a, an alternate timing thing where, you, where the game goes a little quicker. And uh, I got in trouble. And, and I thought, I'm trying to be the good guy out here. I could have walked off the field and said, game's over. Right. But I didn't. And yet they, my boss was on the phone with me for an hour complaining that I didn't have any right to do that. And I said, sir... I said, Brian, in the rule book, it says I may rule in regard to the safety of anyone um, at the game. That's why when there's lightning, we clear the stand so no one gets hurt. I said, I ruled so that no one else would get hurt so that we could finish the game. He said, you don't understand. That rule doesn't apply to officials. So I'm supposed to rule to protect the fans, to protect the kids. But if the officials are in danger, nobody cares. Now, that to me is not a very good look.
2: Right. Well, what happens if you allowed it and somebody else goes down and you're down the Right. Tube?
1: Well, I was going to go. Honestly, if my two guys hadn't gone down, I would have walked off myself because I was sick. And if you've ever had heat sickness, it, I've had it about four or five times. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Yes, And once is. you get it once, it's easier to get over and over. And, you know, these guys were in their 50s. I was in my 60s. It's like I'm doing the best I can out here, but I don't want to pass out. Uh, you can die from this. And it would, the kids were not in great, you know, I, we kept stopping for water. And, and then you'd have coaches do things like say, why'd you take a timeout so everybody can have water? Well, we were on a roll and now you've ruined our, you know, um, whatever it is, More you know, medical. I'm slowing them down. I'm like, uh, I'd rather have living children, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, it's frustrating because officials learn very quickly that no one cares about us um, unless we're not there. And, and so I think it's going it, – I, I remember my last year working, we very rarely had a, a full complement of officials for JV or freshman ball. And so you may be working a, a JV game with, two, uh, with three people out there, and they're screaming about some pass 40 yards downfield where we can't possibly get to that. There are only three of us. They don't seem to understand. You know, it's like when only one umpire shows up to a game, mm-hmm. and they're behind the plate, and you want me to see a trap ball out, out in center field? I'm behind the plate, you know? And they have no, they just automatically scream. And I'm thinking, you know, you wouldn't have a game if I wasn't standing here. I'm doing the best I can being the only person out here or in a short-handed crew. And they don't understand it. They really don't. Their attitude is that we're magical creatures that can see every side of the field from nine camera angles. And we can't, we get one look at it. We're doing the best we can. And if people don't stop being so hypercritical of officials, there are not going to be any more games.
2: And let me ask you this, and I would be laxed in my duty if I didn't ask you this question. With all the women you see uh, officiating in the NBA and the NFL, and I don't recall, maybe there's a few in Major League Baseball.
1: No, there aren't.
2: There should be, because some of those guys have yes, been there way course. too long. Uh, yeah. How does that make you feel, to see...
1: Those, well, uh, first of all, there aren't that many. Um, there, there tend to be more women officials in sports that women play. So basketball is good because, let's face it, women play basketball. And and I'll say this: when I was uh, doing football and baseball here in Arizona, my boss called me in one day, commissioner of officials. He goes, "You know, it's really too bad you don't officiate women's sports because you might get somewhere." And You know, looking back on it, I thought, well, that was condescending, but he's right. If I had done girls' soccer or softball or basketball, maybe I would have moved up more in the officiating ranks. But the problem with things like football, yeah, they've got a few women, but they could have had women 30 years ago. I mean, I started officiating in 1979, and I really, not much has changed. There are still men that wouldn't work with me. Um, I, I, never got the big games. Um, my, and it's funny, I, I initially would be on crews and then guys would say, well, well, you can't be in our crew anymore. I'm like, why? They said, well, because we're never going to get the five, a state championship with you on our crew. Cause you're a woman. Well, they were, they were honest. I was mad, but they were honest. They were right. So then I became a referee and I, I have a quiz for you. How many referees on a, on a football field? One. <laughs> Yes, you're. Oh my gosh, no one ever answers that right. <laughs> Again. I, they always say it, five, eight, nine, like no, no, one. One. The white hat is the yep. only referee. It's you can win beer on that. Trust me. <laughs> um, and and so I became a referee and crew chief. I made my own crew, and I stood there and I said, look, if you don't want to be, you're never going to get the top championship games with me. But we'll we'll work hard. We'll have a good time um, you know, we'll, will be a crew. And I ended up having a number of guys who were with me 12, 14 years. Um, so the idea was no one's going to throw me off a crew anymore. Cause I'm making my own damn crew. And, and you know what you're getting when you walk up and say, Hey, I'd like to work with you. So the thing, it, officiating is still not very kind to women. And, and if, if the powers that be in the officiating world understood, especially at the amateur level, That they've got a problem with officiating, that they need to, um, excuse me, Mm -hmm. later. Um, They, what they, I'm sorry, let me do that again. They have to recruit women. And they're not doing that. Women are 51% of the population. If they wanna bolster those officiating ranks, then they need to um, go out there and say, hey, ladies, come on out. We'll, you know, we'll teach you how to officiate, and we'll treat you equally with the men, because that's not happening. Forty years I officiated, five different sports, and nothing has changed. We have a few women in the NFL, um, but let's be honest. Did you see what the Pro Football Hall of Fame did a couple weeks ago before the kickoff game? No. Yeah, they they were promoting their new women in pro football part of the Hall of Fame. I thought, oh, fascinating. So, you know what they have in there? They have a jersey from um, Welter. Jen Welter. Do you know who she is? Mm-hmm. Yes. She, Yeah, she was the, oh, first woman to coach an NFL game, right? Right. Here, here were the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. She was an intern. Right. She worked preseason, and then they released her. She never coached again, but her jersey is in the Hall of Fame. They also have... The headphones used by um, Gail Gardner was it Gail Gardner and uh, can't think of her name. 2018, they did. They called an NFL game from the booth, and their headphones are in the Hall of Fame. But here's the thing: that, that game that they called, the regular team of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman really called the game. The women were on some small station; they weren't even at the game. And yet their headphones are now in the Hall of Fame because they called an NFL game. Since that time, I haven't heard of any other women calling an NFL game. So they have, they have the whistle and hat of, of a woman who lives here in Arizona, Shannon Easton, who went up when the officials went on strike, and she called, game, she called an NFL game. Her whistle and hat are in the Hall of Fame. It, now look at these jobs. They're not real jobs. This is just the, the pro football pumping up, it's, you know, trying to say, aren't we great for women? So I, I feel that while there have been some advances, there's some women co- in coaching. There are a couple women who who officiate in the NFL. But in general, there's not been much movement. It's the same way with sports casting. It, it used to be. I mean, now everybody goes, oh, there's all kinds of women doing sports casting. I said, yeah, but they're doing the worst job in, in sports. They're being sideline reporters. Right. That is a horrible job. Who wants to stick a mic in a coach's face when he's down 50 to nothing at halftime. And yet these are the gigs they give the women. Why can't they let a woman do color or play by play? It's not brain surgery, but they don't. So I'm, I'm a little frustrated that in both sports casting and officiating, things have moved so slowly. Um, We've made a little progress, but not a whole lot. I also understand why the NFL says, Oh, aren't we great to women? Because who buys all the paraphernalia? Who buys all the jerseys and the hats and stuff? It's women who buy it. Right. They buy them for their husbands and their boyfriends and their kids. So the NFL knows they, that they've got to make women feel like uh, they're welcome, so they keep opening up the proverbial pocketbook. But I don't think they really care. And I, to me, at least in officiating and sports casting, there should be a ton more women doing real jobs instead of throwing pretty ones on the sidelines once in a while. And let's face it, the sideline gig, you should just recruit a couple of nurses. Put them on the sideline with a microphone because almost everything they said—they say is, well, Bob, we think he strained a hamstring. Right. You know, put some nurses in there.
2: <laughs> well, it's mostly medical reports or... Um, right. Or um, something really, you know, not important. You know, some sidebar information that's really not... Important to what's going on no. in the field
1: No, it's a thankless job for both men and women, and it shouldn't even they shouldn't even be there. It's dumb. Uh,
2: with the few minutes we got remaining in our conversation, um, I noticed that uh, the writer is under your name. Have you written any books?
1: Oh yeah, I have uh, five published books. I have two that, two that will never see the light of day, and I have another one that's being trying to be sold right now. Um, so, yes, I, when, I got, when I was uh, no longer deemed attractive enough to be on camera, which happens to women, I was pushing 40, and suddenly nobody would hire me to be on television anymore. Um, and so I moved into print reporting uh, for newspapers and magazines. And, you know, people don't understand when you're on TV, you write everything you say. Um, it's not ad libbed. It's not like, you know, doing color or play by play. Everything's scripted. Mm-hmm. All your stories you have to write. So You have to be a good writer to be to be a broadcaster. And um, so moving into print was not that big a deal. It just gave me more more. I could use more words. You know, when you write print articles, they're much more expansive. And moving into novels, just you know, longer stories. Though it may come as a surprise that I don't write about sports ever.
2: Is so there a reason why?
1: Yeah, I don't, you know, I write blog articles. I write a blog every week and I do write sports there, but my novels, um, no, I, I just, I, I don't know. I write about factual problems. I write about the environment or archaeological looting or serial rapist or post traumatic stress or domestic violence. Um, and then I incorporate that into the natural environment. Kind of, it's it's it. so I write about about problems in our society, but I add fictional stories to that. I wrote about a religious cult that where old men were marrying twelve-year-old girls. Um, but I write fiction, and but I incorporate a lot of real information into those books. So yeah, it's funny. I almost never mention sports. I'm a scuba diver. I sometimes throw scuba diving in. But um, I, yeah, no, I don't. Oh, you're just I, I'm. An, uh, let me say this: I'm an avid mm-hmm. consumer of the news. I I still read a regular newspaper every day. I watch the news every day. I can't help it. When you spend a lot of your life in a newsroom, that's what happens. And so there's so many strange things going on in the world. I find some of them interesting and write books about them.
2: Well, you being a well-rounded writer, like we, were, I'd like to think so. <laughs> Whereas we were discussing earlier, the need for young people to be well-rounded athletes and do more than one thing, that's what you're doing with your writing. So. Yes, you know, and,
1: and I taught, when I was teaching in school, I taught journalism. I mean, I, I, I was the newspaper teacher, so I had to encourage kids to go out and cover all kinds of things they had, you know, they, they go, well, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about history or whatever. I said, you know, as a, as a journalist, you need to know about a lot of things, but you don't need to be an expert. You just have to come up with the right questions. Right. And, and to me, I'm fascinated by the natural world. I, I'm fascinated by history. Um, I've written two historical fiction novels. Um, and so I think that's one of the most... I'm so delighted that somehow that got put in my head that I'm interested in things. Uh, I'm a mineral collector. Um, I, I'm happiest when I'm out in the wilderness. i I don't know. When I was young, I remember wanting to be where everybody was. Now I want to be where nobody is. (laughs) I don't know when that happened.
2: I know that Um, feeling.
1: Yes, it's like, just and and Arizona is so beautiful. Um, The natural part of it, that just getting in my truck and going out to the wilderness is a beautiful thing. Same way with scuba diving. I have a a house in uh, St. Croix in the Caribbean, and uh, I am so delighted to just sit there and look at the ocean. Um, I like the natural world. And so I, most of my books, there's quite a bit of that in there. And, and I'm, I keep thinking, how come I'm interested in all these things? I have no idea, but I'm, I'm grateful that I have a great deal of things that I'm interested in. And so many people don't. When I would sit my students down, I said, what do you like to do? Nothing. What's your hobbies? Shopping. Right. I'm like, that's not a hobby. <laughs> you know? So I, I, I'm grateful that I am the way I am. I don't know why I am. But um, I think we need to be well-rounded is a happier way to be because you know what? Right now I can't do sports anymore. I had to retire from football right. because I just couldn't physically do it anymore. My knees are shot. I have a bad back. Um, I, and then when the pandemic hit, I couldn't swim anymore. And, so, and then I had rotator cuff surgery. So I, can't, I used to swim a mile five or six times a week. I can't do that anymore. And so I've had to adjust and say, okay, you can't do everything for your whole life thing. Goodness that I like to do other things. And so I write books full time now. If I didn't have that, I don't know what I'd do.
2: <laughs> uh, being a journalist and a, I guess, a professor or a teacher of journalism, where do you think the world of journalism is?
1: Oh, you keep hitting me with these sad topics. <laughs> I'm okay, sorry. I grew up in a time when. No, it's right. I grew up in a time when you could trust a journalist. Yes. Um, I would, the if crate. I'd gone on the air with something that was not correct, I can lose my job. Mm-hmm. Okay? If I printed a story with something that was factually inaccurate, I can lose my job. I grew up in that world. I did not grow up in the world where journalists are talking heads for being paid millions and millions of dollars to have an opinion. That There should be two separate forms. There should be journalism and entertainment. Okay? If you're going to write a story and you're going to be biased, you better tell me it's a commentary or an editorial because that's not appropriate. Nor is it appropriate to go on camera, whether you're a CNN or Fox or whoever, and have an opinion. You're not allowed to have an opinion, so shut up. And, I, and it frustrates the hell out of me. I used to be very proud of being a journalist. Now not so much. Um, but in the world I grew up in, a journalist would never do these things. So I I think it's very important that sometime soon we separate news from entertainment. Right. Because people, and then, you know, and people need to branch out a little bit. I do my best to watch both sides of a story from different outlets and not just watch what I agree with. But too many people are unwilling to do that. And people are not willing to source information. I have a dear friend who's constantly sending me stuff he gets from the internet with no reporter, no, no outlet like who produced this thing, right. no name on it. I said, you know, as a reporter, I want my name in big fat letters on everything I've ever written. But someone s- puts a story together that's clearly completely biased and their name isn't on it? Doesn't that <laughs> tell you something? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm frustrated with regular people who don't even bother to check their sources because they believe whatever they want to already, what they already believe. So, yeah, journalism, I'm, I think it'll shake out because I think we need journalism to survive on, a pl- on our planet. I think democracy needs honest journalism to survive, so I hope we fix it. Because if not, things could be uglier yeah. than they are.
2: Well, we need to stop, as you stated, need to stop blurring the line between journalism and entertainment. And yep. And ha- having uh, talking heads or... Faces sitting there, just making stuff up out of whole cloth, just to appease their already their audience that's sitting in their silo. Yeah,
1: yeah, and how about how about the sponsors of these people? Right. It's uh, who's the guy? I can't think of his name. Who who just got they, they got him for lying about Parkland, saying all those poor little first graders were actors. Yes. Uh, yeah, and and they're fining him millions of dollars. I'm like, yay. Thank you. But I'm wondering who were the people sponsoring his, his podcast? Who right. who were the people who were putting money in that? They should be ashamed. And and you know, and then of course in court he admitted he made it up. Right. I'm like uh, <laughs> you know, but his people still believe they'll still tell you, Oh that that was all made up. Those children didn't die. Right. Like I don't even I don't even know what to say anymore sometimes. No, yeah,
2: he's just <laughs> lying because the court told him
1: to. Yeah, well, and 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 his sponsors are happy to, to pay money to to let him lie. Yeah, I, yes. I my attitude is let's get all the sponsors together and let's not patronize their whatever they're selling. Let's not buy it. If that's the kind of if that's what you want to do to pay to, to give your money to someone who's lying to millions of people, then I don't want to do business with you. But see, nobody thinks this far. They just go, yeah, yeah, he's right. So yeah, I I feel like we're dumber than we used to yes, be. Yes, we are.
2: I I see some things and I go. I am dumb. I am dumber now for watching this yes, than I was yeah, before yeah. I started. And you you like I grew up watching uh, Walter Cronkite and other of people course. like him. Give us the facts. They didn't pollute it with their opinions or somebody's biases
1: or whatnot. Well, Walter did once. Which was? When after Walter went to Vietnam and he came back and he told the American people on the air, it was quite shocking that we could never win that war. And that's when we pulled out. And everybody was stunned because Walter, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, so Walter was in New York. You know, I mean, um, he said that and everybody paused because he was like the grandfather of the nation. Right, right. And, but he was what he said was right, but it was his opinion at the time. Other than that, I don't believe he ever he ever gave his opinion on the air. I think he was so frustrated when he was over there. He went on several times to Vietnam um, that he was just frustrated and sad, and he realized that there was no way we could win. And um, so, other than, but you're right. Other than that, you're, uh, uh, journalists back then they would never give an opinion. Ever. It wasn't there. It's not your job. My job, I taught uh, sports reporting at ASU last semester. And I said, when you put something in a story, you need to get, you know, if it's a controversial story of some kind, you need to get both sides. And even if you're a news reporter and if it's something, you're doing a story on abortion, let's say, and you're vehemently against abortion, you can't let that bleed into your story. You have to give both sides equal time in your story so that the reader or the viewer can determine what they want to believe your job is not to convince them to agree with you it's to give them the facts and let them decide that's what journalism is and i think we've gotten away from that quite honestly because there's a lot of money in it now. if you become one of those big talking heads you're taking home 5 million a year
2: yes even at the local level you got guys in radio which is you know one of the lowest medias in uh, in journalism now, because who listens to the radio? Uh, I still do, but... <laughs> oh, I
1: do too. <laughs> I still listen to the radio.
2: But they've, you know, they're making a million dollars plus.
1: Yes. There's big money in it. And and and, and also, I, I know this, a lot of women, for example, think it's glamorous. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing glamorous about having to make a deadline or get on a set in, in 20 seconds and you haven't done your hair because everybody cares about your hair. Um, it's not glamorous. It's hard and stressful. And when I die, I'm going to die a little bit early from the stress of being <laughs> in television. <laughs> but I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm just right. saying that I think it's become more of a beauty pageant. Well, always was that for women, let's face it. Um, and, and that they don't understand all the work involved in doing it right. Um, so I don't know. I hope we can fix that, too, because we need journalism. We need solid journalism at all levels. And that the fact that we're losing so many small-town newspapers um, and even big-town newspapers is sad. We're losing a lot of voices that we need. If if journalism ends up like Walmart and there's just one voice out there, we're in trouble.
2: Yeah, big trouble. Um, well, I want to thank you for your time today and uh, your enlightened Enlightenment. Um, do you allow people to reach out to you? And if you oh, do, of and if you do, of how can they I'm, do that? And also, and also, if you can, if you want, and fill up to a uh, given, you know, the title of your books, feel free to do well, that. Here, also,
1: here's the, yeah, here's the easiest thing to do. Uh, go to my website. Mm-hmm. Um, which is Ann Montgomery author. I'm sorry, Ann Montgomery And that's Ann with an E. So Ann All of my books are there. Because um, as I said, I have five out right now. So it'd be kind of take, take a lot of time to tell you about them. Um, so yeah, go there. Um, there's also a contact me page that has my email on it. Please feel free to get in touch. I'm delighted to talk to people.
2: And uh, what is uh, what is that
1: address? My uh, my my website? No,
2: not your website. It's my email. My
1: email, email is annmontgomeryauthor.com. Um Ann Montgomery Author at Gmail. Sorry.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: I get mixed up with me being a writer and an author. So right. it's Ann Montgomery Writer is my website. And Ann Montgomery Author at Gmail. Well, this has been an uh,
2: interesting conversation. Um, I've, I coached baseball, football, hockey, um, basketball at the youth level. And um, so I understand a lot about what, you, uh, what we talked about at the beginning of our conversation. And then work, you know, high school and college athletics, so... I literally have walked people from their, their first time on a playing field all the way through, you know, their last time on a college field. And, I've, you know, I've seen a lot of the ups and downs of what sports can bring to somebody not only on the field but in life in general. And it sounds like that you've lived a lot of it. So it's been very interesting to, to speak with you.
1: Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it, and so now I'm going to give you a job. You ready? Sure. Uh, next time you're on a field, go 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 to an official and go, "Hey, good game."
2: <laughs> Actually, I just I just retired from 35 and older baseball. I'm 60.
1: Oh my God, men's <laughs> League. they are a scream. I did men's league baseball. Holy crap! They all thought there were still scouts in the stands. Right,
2: and <laughs> and that was that was always the joke because we were one when. We weren't the best team in the league we were always at the bottom and they would break you know it was a 29 uh, team league it was broken up metro area um, uh, uh, Minneapolis and st. Paul and it was broken up by you know regions and we would have some teams that were you know they were playing for the seventh game of the World Series and We'd stand in the dugout and go, eh, I wonder how many scouts were here today.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but they believed it. They oh, yeah. screamed and yelled like I was ruining their major league career. <laughs> it's like, swing the bat. But uh, Play the game.
2: I would say that probably 98% of the games that I played in always ended with not only handshakes with the other team, but me saying, hey, blue, nice game. So
1: Good good let's spread that around
2: yeah but and that was kind of a common theme of our team because the guy that has run our team for closely 40 years that's the way he you know that's the that's the fiber of, our, of the team that we had was we're here to uh fellowship and uh, have fun and you know to compete and compete with yourself but um but at the end, it you know it's not about fighting and it's not about blaming the umpire. It's you know it's thanking him for their effort and and having a few beers in the parking lot and go home.
1: Yes, <laughs> you know what? I wish more people in America could go to a, a, a like a regular rugby game. Um, I I went to school in Europe. I was very fortunate, and they, and we had there were rugby teams playing, and and. Uh, we go watch him, and then afterwards, everybody would go to a bar. Their wives and kids would mm-hmm. go, and both teams would eat and drink and sing and cheer for each other. I thought, I've never been around a sport like this, where everybody, they played hard and beat the crap out of each other, and then they're all hugging at the end of the game and hoisting beers to each other. I went, this is a great sport. We don't do this enough at home. We, we, we villainize the other team. Right. And, and I don't know why we do that. We should just, that's why I really do like the fact that the NFL still, the players still come out and pat each other on the back and shake hands at the ends of the games. You know, that didn't used to happen until I think it was the strike in 1981, where they were showing solidarity when they came back after the strike. And since that time, they all crossed the field and shake hands. And I wish we always did that in a nice way. I mean, we do it now, and kids beat each other up in the line. So I think we're missing the point. But I agree with you. That's what it should be. It should be a great day. We had a great game. Doesn't matter who won or lost. And, you know, let's be be friends.
2: Right. Or adults who slaps the kids, high-five too hard because he's upset about his team losing. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, get over it. Right. um, And – just to finish our conversation, Anne, if I didn't know there was one referee on a football field, I would uh, get put in the corner by so many people in my life. So,
1: <laughs> Oh, no, you ask. You really go ask people because I have had – I ask that question all the time. When I tell people I was a referee, they don't believe me because, of course, I'm a woman. But I, I ask them, I have maybe once until you today – had a person answer that correctly. Because even even top broadcasters call them all referees. Right. No, Like they're not. They're, no, they're, they're officials. Back judge,
2: there's line judges. Yeah, umpire. You right. Know. Well, and, the, and other, <laughs> the other odd thing, Ann, is as soon as I hang this up, I'm hang up with you, I'm going to check for a text message for a friend of mine that I grew up with in St. Louis who is a Big Ten Official and he's not a referee. He's a back, I think he's a back judge.
1: Yeah, he's, he runs fast then. Right. Yes,
2: <laughs> he's a back, yeah, that's exactly why yes. he's a back
1: judge. Referees do not run fast. Right. No.
2: Sorry. Well, thanks again for your time today and I really appreciate it. And how can people contact you again?
1: Okay, Ann Montgomery Writer.com. Mm-hmm. That's Ann with an E. That's my website. And Ann Montgomery Author at Gmail. All right.
2: Thank you so much, Ann. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I had a good time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioned as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast Prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you have talked to us.
1: Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com.
0: Bradshaw and Bryant. Is back with a brand new invention Vincent. Something grabs a hold of me tightly Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly will stop, yo, I don't know Turn off the lights, huh, and I'll To the extreme,
2: i rock a mic Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. It's time to put a bow on today's show. Uh, again, want to thank Ann Montgomery for her contributions. Um, this is mainly focused on the effect of sports on youth, but we also talked about journalism and, and women officials, and I found it all compelling and interesting. Remember, again, that I can be found on Apple Podcasts and Podbean and other outlets. Also, if you want to send me a message, JB780 at comcast.net, and that's J-A-Y-B-E-E-780 at comcast.net. Well, we're going to continue rolling here on the J.B. Slow Tech podcast, continue to have fun. Oh, there was one story I wanted to convey, and if you're a parent of young people who want to be athletes, and also or maybe grandparents. Not only is it important to have them play several sports and do other things as act as far as like acting or music or you know, whatever it can be, but also allow them to do that on their own with just their friends. When I used to coach hockey, I in the in here in Minnesota we'd have the outdoor ice, when the outdoor ice was ready to go, I would always state, go out to the outdoor ice and uh, try things on your own, experiment. And I would have parents both, don't you need to be there? It's like, nope, this is the time for them to try things without me yelling and screaming at them or their parents yelling and screaming at them. So long as they're having fun and not doing anything illegal and they're in a safe environment, and hanging out with their friends, they should be allowed to do so. Well, again, thank you for listening, and uh, reach out to me, and uh, continue to listen to me here on the J.B. Low Tech Podcast. J.B. B- is
0: my name, and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game.
2: Right on. Negro, black, African American,
0: <laughs> Black, black, black. Jangle J.B. Damn,
2: Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J.B. Our great Negro sex machine.